So, Holy Spirit, pray that you would help us understand what those words mean and how we can apply them to our lives this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before um, the sermon, I want to thank those of you who participated in the prayer walk a couple weeks ago. We made a composite picture of the map that shows all the areas that you guys put pins in that said you're going to pray for. I mean, it looks like King County has measles in that map, right? And you look at that, we basically covered King County in prayer. And so I want to just say thank you for that. And already I've heard some great stories of how God is using that in different people's lives. And if you've got a story about that, would you please email it to me? Because I'd love to hear that story. But mostly just thank you for being faithful in prayer. Really appreciate it. I think it's going to make a difference over time. Well, when I was at my former church, we remodeled the sanctuary. And the workers discovered that the beings that held the whole thing up had been eaten by termites so that they were hollow on the inside and about to collapse. So we had to reinforce them with steel. Well, when we discovered that they were hollow, the senior pastor's first response was, this is great. What an awesome sermon illustration. It's a weird little world we pastors live in. You don't want to be part of it. But it is a good sermon illustration, so I'm going to ask you the, uh, the, the kind of expected sermon illustration question. Do you ever feel like one of those beams? Kind of looking okay on the outside, but maybe on the inside a little uncertain, a little afraid, a little maybe sinful, fearful, worried. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it in this passage, having the form of godliness, but denying or lacking its power. Do you ever feel that way? You know, I've had a lot of people say to me, Uh, You know, I just don't feel comfortable going to this church because everyone in it, their lives are so put together. I mean, everyone in this church, they've got the perfect families, they've got the perfect marriages, right? They know the Bible backwards and forwards. Are you buying that? No. I always say to them, oh, no, they're way more screwed up than that. They take after their pastor, right? But this passage tells us how we can avoid being like those beams and put real steel into our lives so that our marriages finances, faith life, parenting, everything is genuinely strong from the inside out. And it comes to this simple thing that Paul says in this passage. It all boils down to this simple thing. We need to stop living according to our culture's worldview and live instead out of a biblical worldview. And by biblical worldview, I mean viewing our marriages, careers, finances, everything through the lens of scripture rather than through the lens of our culture, which is how most of us, myself included, actually do it. Because our culture is like those termites that just eat away at the strength in our lives. Let me read some of this passage to you, and you tell me if you think it applies to today's culture. Paul says, people will be lovers of themselves. Do you, does that apply today? Do you think, I mean, ever heard the phrase, you just need to do what's right for you? Paul says folks will be lovers of money. That doesn't apply to today. That was for just then. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. That one doesn't happen with my kids, but I've heard you all have that issue. (laughs) Ungrateful, unforgiving, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I mean, whoa, it's just Debbie Downer, right? And this passage reads like the evening news. And the result of following our culture and all of these things is marriages that are miserable, Teenage girls thinking they can never be pretty enough because the way our culture views sex. Folks who are stressed out financially because they've spent to the margins trying to accumulate as much prestige and as much luxury as they possibly can because our culture says to. We're following our culture. And if the Bible conflicts with what our culture says about finances, 
we go with our culture. If the Bible conflicts with what our culture says about sex, we kind of go with our culture. If the Bible conflicts with what our culture says about relationships, we go with our culture. Or as Paul puts it, they will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I just love that, itching ears. Do you ever have itchy ears? I know I do. Wanting to hear what I want to hear. Our worldview is shaped more by our culture than the Bible. Okay, that's the bad news. Paul goes on to say the good news, though. The good news is that Jesus says to us, I have a better way. I have a better way. And he does that through Scripture. Paul says the Bible is God-breathed. And what that means is it's more than a book. Jesus is in it. It points to Jesus. Through it, Jesus guides us to a better life. The Bible doesn't save us, but Jesus does. And in the Bible, we can find him. Man, I know used to be a pastor at a large church in Houston. And one time, his teenage nieces were coming to visit his teenage daughters. And he wanted to show them some of the giant mansions in Houston. And, and there was a man in his church who lived in one of these mansions, so he asked if he could, if he could uh, come by. And the man said, sure, but let's do this upright. Why don't you pretend that the mansion is yours and that you actually live there? So my friend let his daughters in on this, right? And then, you know, when they picked up the nieces at the airport, they drove to, to this, this giant mansion, walked in, put their suitcases down, you know, pretended it was their house. One of his daughters started playing the piano. Another one went to the bedroom, started jumping up and down on the bed. You know, another one was making a sandwich in the kitchen. When all of a sudden, this man ran down the stairs and shouted, who are you people? What are you doing in my house? They were in the wrong house. Later on, he was telling this story to his staff, and there was a young pastor on staff just right out of seminary, brand new, and he said, wow, I could have great sermon illustrations too if I were a little stupider. And my friend said, son, you're well on your way. Right? What's the point? He should have gotten directions so that he didn't go to the wrong house. Our culture directs us to the wrong house. But through Scripture, Jesus says, I can direct you to a better life. Not an easier life, in fact, it will probably be harder, but bigger, richer, deeper, better, more whole. Let me give you just one example. You know, there's a lot of folks these days who are financially fearful, even though they make well over 100 k a year. And the reason is they've bought a bigger house than they could afford, more toys, more vacations they can afford, because our culture says to live for pleasure and for status, and our sin nature just makes us want to go with the culture. The Bible, though, says to live below our means. You know, my wife and I deliberately bought a house that was less than we could afford because there's freedom in that. You know, there's money left at the end of the month. If, if my salary needs to be cut to help church finances, we can do that, right? And the result is more freedom from financial worry and fear. The biblical worldview works if we just do it. Now, before I go any further, let me just take on two objections that I sometimes hear that people give for not following the Bible, at least where they don't want to follow the Bible, right? We're all for following it where we want to follow it, but not when it gets uncomfortable. Two objections I sometimes hear. The first is this, you know, I hope people, I'll hear people say things like, you know, the Bible can be interpreted a lot of different ways. Who knows what it really says? It's up for interpretation. Oh, far out. I mean, yeah, there are some passages that can be interpreted differently, but most of it and on the main things like sex, marriage, money, all of that, it's pretty clear and it's pretty consistent. As Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts I do understand that bother me. <laughs> Let's just start with those. 
Another objection people will raise is, you know what, we have to pick and choose what parts of the Bible we actually follow because, you know, the Bible's an old book and it also supports some strange things like, say, for instance, slavery. Okay, let me just take that one example. That is a lie. It's true every culture back then had slavery, every culture, and the Bible acknowledges that. Now, it wasn't racially based as it was in America. Slaves were treated better than in America, but the Bible never says slavery is a good thing. In fact, the Old Testament severely limits a master's power over a slave. It even says after six years, you have to let them go free. The New Testament does say, yes, if you're a slave, obey your masters. But it also says, masters, do not mistreat your slaves. And the book of Philemon says that slaves should be set free and treated as fellow Christians. You see, if we take scripture as a whole and don't just isolate one like weird little verse here or there, most of the alleged problems in the Bible disappear. But more to the point, and more importantly, it is through Scripture that we can hear Jesus guiding us. There's a woman in this church who told me about a time she and her husband were just fighting all the time in her marriage. And one day, as she prayed about this, she got the thought, read the Bible. And she said, I already read the Bible. I don't want to read it anymore. And then she got this thought that said, read the book of Philippians. And she said, I don't want to read Philippians. I don't like that book. So she decided that she would just kind of do the flip it open method and read wherever it landed, even though she doesn't really believe that that's how it should work. So she did, and guess where it landed? <laughs> Philippians. So she went, all right. So she started reading it over and over and over for about a year. Because sometimes it takes a long time for Scripture to start to change us. It doesn't happen all at once. But over the course of, about, of that year, her marriage began to get better. And she said there was no one verse that did it. It was just kind of a gestalt of all the verses. You know, things like let your gentleness show. And she realized she wasn't being very gentle to her husband. And, and there's a lot about joy in Philippians. And she realized she wasn't a very joyful person. She just absorbed its worldview. And over time, gradually her marriage began to change. Because here's my main point. If you change your thinking you change your life. If we change our thinking from the culture's mind to the mind of Christ, we change our lives for the better. So how do we do that? How do we change our thinking from the culture to the mind of Christ? A couple of things. The first is obvious. It goes in the absolute duh category. You've got to read the Bible. And I know sometimes there's struggles with that. So in the bulletin, I've listed some stuff that could help. I, I, I recommended a good study Bible that can help you understand it. On our website, there are books that, are, that we recommend to help you understand the Bible, that you can read about the Bible. You can watch the Bible plain and simple online. There's also a reading guide for the Bible that I did for my daughter when she was nine. I may have told you about this before. She wanted to read through the Bible, so I took out all the boring bits for her. And then she would read section at a time, and I'd ask her questions to make sure that she'd understood it and that she'd absorbed it, right? She read the whole Bible in about, minus the boring parts, in about six months. Okay, it is doable. You can do this. My nine-year-old daughter did it. Read the Bible. You don't want to be beaten by a nine-year-old girl, do you? <laughs> Come on, you can do it. Five, ten minutes a day. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read it. And as you read it, ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand it because there's a supernatural thing that happens here too and you need the Holy Spirit. And two questions you can ask to help you understand any passage of Scripture. Two questions. What does this passage say about God? And what does this passage say about me? 
You know, our minds are like sponges, and they will soak up whatever they are exposed to, which to me is scary because I have soaked up all kinds of messages from TV and advertising and, and movies. I mean, I can recite from heart every theme song to almost any TV show between the 70s and the 90s, right? And I bet you can too. Let's do a little quiz. <laughs> What's this from? Here's the story of a lovely lady who was, come on, Brady Bunch, right? How about this? I'll be there for you. Friends, come on. Yeah, y'all watch a lot of TV. Good for you, right? <laughs> Think of the brain space that is wasted with that useless information. Like, I can barely remember geometry. Physics is almost gone, but two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun there whenever I need it. Which is never. Or can Geico really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Is the Pope Catholic? I mean, all of the... This is why we need to read the Bible, so that our minds that are choked with the messages of this world can be soaked with the thinking of Christ. Second, thank you for the amen. Love the amens. Second, love that one too. Awesome. Presbycostals, you're fantastic. Second, live the Bible. Do what it says. You see, we don't read the Bible, guys. It reads us. And it reads our lives. And it guides our lives. Let it. Do what it says to do. Pick one or two things to kind of with the power of the Holy Spirit begin to develop in your life from Scripture. Now, notice I didn't say it, live it perfectly because none of us do that. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. But one of the things you find in the Bible is that Jesus forgives us and he gives us the power to live new lives. I may have told you before, my wife and I have one of those talking GPS systems for our car. And my wife programmed it to have an Australian accent to sound like the actor Hugh Jackman, who, th who she thinks is handsome. Whatever, right? Not like I'm handsome. And Hugh says things like, turn right on Australian Highway 405. Okay, Hugh is so stupid, he thinks 405 is in Australia, which is why I don't always pay attention to Hugh. I just ignore him sometimes because I know best how to get to where I'm going. But occasionally, when I ignore Hugh, I get lost as a goose, which my wife thinks is funny. And do you know what Hugh says to me in those moments? He says, I told you so, you little idiot. You think I'm going to help you now? Find your own way. Of course not. Hugh says, recalculating. <laughs> and he gives me a new route. Oh, you so get the metaphor, right? Through Scripture, Jesus gives us good instructions, but even when we blow it, he gets us back on track. Read the Bible, live the Bible, and then third, heal the world by how you live out biblical truths. This passage says that all Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. That is, through, through Scripture, Jesus guides us to a better life, but what's the point? What's the ultimate so what? So that the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, this isn't just about us having a better life. That too but it's also about helping to heal the culture that's around us, that's doing so much damage. And there are so many ways to do that. In your home, in your office, in your neighborhood, by living according to God's worldview rather than the cultures, you can heal a broken world. One example of this is the coaching program I've mentioned before. Jubilee Reach Center has been invited to lead all of the uh, sports programs in all of the Bellevue Middle Schools. It's just an astonishing invitation. And they'll be using a method that is called biblical coaching. That's what it's actually called. And it was developed by some folks who said, let's coach with a biblical worldview instead of our culture's worldview. What would happen? 
So for them, the goal is not just to win games. Yeah, that too. But more importantly, it's to develop godly men and women. One of the things they say in their materials, which I just love, is they say, we will not know if we had a good season, even if we won a championship game or championship. We will not know if we had a good season until 10 or 15 years later. And do the wives and husbands and children of former players come back to say to the coaches, thank you for developing my husband or my wife or my son or my daughter or my friend. They talk about doing your best to win, but more importantly, being a blessing to the opposing team. They say they come to beat us, we come to be us. And part of that means cheering for the other team when they make a great play and kind of being a community, stuff like that. Well, there's been a pilot program at Highland Middle School, and the results have been amazing. Within two months, some of the kids, deeply in trouble, some of them in gangs, reading at a second grade level are now reading at an eighth grade level. One of the teachers said, you know, we wouldn't expect to see progress like this for years, let alone in two months. But more than that, these kids are developing character. There's an eighth grade boy who got suspended from school for, for bad behavior, which meant he couldn't play the game. But he asked, him, he asked if he could come to the locker room before the game to address his teammates. And with tears in his eyes, this eighth grade kid, deeply in trouble, said to his teammates, guys, you mean the world to me. You are my community, and I am so sorry that I've let you down and I'm never going to let you down again. And his life is being changed because his coaches coach according to scripture, not according to our culture. There's another kid, another kid named Daniel, kind of shy, teased a lot, not the best athlete, but biblical coaching means you're developing people, not just winning games, so every kid plays. And during one game, Daniel, the, the least likely kid to do it, Daniel scored the game-winning goal. And after the game, his, you know, his teammates were cheering for him. After the game, the girls were talking about what a star Daniel is. I mean, how cool is that in junior high to have all the girls talk about you like that? I wouldn't know. <laughs> but I'm sure it was awesome for Daniel, right? You know, our culture gives all kinds of messages that we're not wanted, that we're not good enough. The Bible says we are valuable because we belong to God. And through his coaches, Daniel is experiencing that biblical worldview. Daniel's mother said to the coaches, I want to thank you for giving, you, giving me my son back. We used to go to bed. He'd be out getting in trouble. We didn't know where he was. But now he is home every night. He's doing his homework. He's respectful to others. He respects himself. Because caring coaches are pushing back on the worldview of our culture and introducing middle schoolers to a biblical way of living. Not by overt proselytizing, because you can't do that in public schools, but by living biblical values. And I want to ask you this question. If we have at least two Christian coaches trained in biblical coaching for every sport in every middle school, how many kids' lives do you think that would change? And not just kids in poverty, but kids from wealthy families who, who think they can never be rich enough or have enough, good enough grades or, 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 or be thin enough to be accepted. And beyond that, how many families could be changed? Because when you get to the kids, you're getting to the families. And beyond that, how many coaches would be changed? Do you think a man or a woman trained in this biblical coaching might just become a better man, husband, father, better woman, mother, Wife, thank you. <laughs> Lost track of where I was, thank you. Do you think it might just help the coaches too? Guys, this church has been praying for revival for years. I think this might be it. This is a once-in-a-generation opportunity. And it could change not just Bellevue, but the whole east side as it spreads. So, if you are interested, we need both male and female coaches for basketball and soccer. Starting with those two, hopefully it spreads to other sports. 
You can sign up in the lobby. You'll get information on how to apply. There'll be a vetting process, training over the summer. And don't worry, even if you don't know how to play basketball or soccer, don't worry, you don't need to be a great athlete for this. We're talking sixth through eighth graders here. You just need to show up, okay? And they'll train you how to coach, but more importantly, on how to change a life, including yours. And if coaching's not your thing, we need other people too. We need people to pray. We need folks who can provide snacks, transportation, all the rest. We didn't go looking for this, but God just dropped this opportunity in our laps. And it is a great way to live out of a biblical worldview rather than our cultures and begin to change the culture in the process. It's a great way to do it. But it's not the only way. There are many ways to live out of a biblical worldview. So what's yours going to be this week? Maybe for you it just starts with reading the Bible a little bit. Or maybe it means picking one or two things that the Bible says to do that our culture pushes back on and you push back on the culture in your home, in your marriage, in your finances by living out what the Bible says to do. Whatever it is, when we begin to live according to the Bible, not our culture, we heal ourselves and we begin to heal the world around us. Our sons and daughters who feel unworthy unless they look a certain way or have a certain GPA or are wanted sexually discover that they are unique miracles of God and find their worth in that. When we live biblically, we push back on our culture's divorce rate and, 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 and husbands and wives start to love each other the way Christ loves the church and marriages get healed. When we live biblically, businesses are run more ethically. Sex becomes more exciting because it's not just about uniting bodies for a season. It's about uniting souls forever in marriage. When we live biblically and not according to our culture, the kingdom of this world begins to look just a little bit more like the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And we are healed and our culture gets healed. And we are blessed. As the prophet Jeremiah puts it, we whose confidence is in the Lord, not in our culture, we will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green and it never, ever fails to bear fruit. When we follow Jesus, not the culture, that's the kind of lives we lead. So Jesus asks that you would please speak to us through scripture, help us to hear your voice, And then, Holy Spirit, we need you to give us the power to do what you say to do. And we will give you all the glory for the results. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.